in this episode. It's not sci-fi. Houston Innovation Hub is real. Then, the largest digital agency in the world invites you over for coffee. And HMT1 is everywhere. Oil and gas has always challenged technology. Now it's time for tech to challenge back. Come hear how the best minds in the industry are making those solutions a reality on the Oil & Gas Technology Podcast with your host, Mark LaCour. Hey folks, another episode, but you know the deal. We need reviews, brand new show. We've gotten a whole bunch of reviews, so thank you, thank you, thank you, audience. Here's a great one by Texcan Frackman from the United States on June 4th. Keep it coming, love the content. See, it's that simple. 30 seconds, you support the show. If you listen to our other shows, leave a review there as well. And if we're not doing something well, let us know. We'd like to at least understand what we can improve upon. And before we get to our guest, a big shout out to Flatour for sponsoring the show. They are the leader in industrial internet of things with Everything, including specialty chemicals, oil and gas, heavy machinery, manufacturing, blah, blah, blah. Go check out what they're doing. So they're doing some really cool business practical AI type of work. And speaking of business practical AI type of work, I'm sitting here in Houston at the center. The So, Neil, where am I today? You're at the Houston, Accenture Houston Innovation Hub. And the audience, the reason we're all laughing is we did some, we messed some stuff up, but you won't hear because Emin will edit it out. So, anyway, we're having a good time with this. And this place looks like Silicon Valley. It is amazing. It's cool. Co-working, it's looking space, very open, airy. But the cool thing is I just walked by a bunch of PCM controllers, a bunch of flow valves, some heavy crane equipment stuff. Y'all are really plugged in the oil and gas industry here, aren't you? I think that was really why we got founded. So there was a, we saw about two and a half years ago, a fundamental need to bring more digital technology and innovation technology to Houston. So the Innovation Center was founded with that mission. And really, it's been pretty successful. So we've grown from, I think, three or four people back two and a half years ago to about 120 right now with blowout of the new space, which should be opening fully in at the end of August. We'll fully see the, the full floor and some of all of the capabilities start to, to bring together in our, what we call our innovation ecosystem. Yeah. And I got ahead of myself because the audience has no idea who you are. So you're oh. Neil Christensen. What's your role here at Accenture? So I'm a director in the Houston Innovation Hub. Yeah. And how did you get into this crazy world? So that's a really long story. So I've been with the firm for about 13 years with a focus really on, on big project delivery. I had an opportunity based on family to, to head back to Houston and really a good opportunity to get back to the States and get back to the roots. So good opportunity to do that. And quite frankly, it's something I'm passionate about. How do we bring innovation and technology to our customers' biggest problems? So gets us out of bed every day. And I think for Sid as well. Yeah, it's the passion definitely comes off. And Sid, how did you get into this crazy world? Very different to Neil. I was an engineer, petroleum engineer before. Wait, wait, wait. You have people skills? And yeah, petroleum dude, engineer? surprisingly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I spent about 10 years working around the world where people don't want to be. Sakhalin, Alaska. I mean, Sakhalin, Russia. Alaska, Prudhoe Bay. Working for BP, ExxonMobil, so on and so forth. Did that for about 10 years and decided I needed a life after that. So started my own business back home in Adelaide, Australia, did that for a little while, and we got acquired by a super major after that. I thought I'm going to take six months off, right? <laughs> Three months into that six months, I got contacted by someone at Accenture Australia saying, could you lead our analytics practice on the West Coast? And I said, I could try. 
didn't have uh, previous experience in it. But they paired me up with an amazing team. We started and it was fantastic. We went from two people to over 200 in no time. Did that. And after that, I was sort of at a middle point in my career thinking, if I'm doing oil and gas, if I haven't been to Houston, I haven't really done anything. That's true. So I decided to move to Houston, working for BP in their remote monitoring control center. As I was doing that, Accenture was a major vendor for BP in that space that Neil has spoken about before. And yeah, charmed me and had a conversation with a few folks that I thought I would want to work with. And here I am. So Sid, I have to ask you, do you laugh when people here in Houston freak out about the cold weather? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Because you've been on North Slope. You know what cold weather's like when you die. Absolutely. And moving, I remember a funny conversation with my mother because she comes from, you know, the metric system. And she asked me what the weather was, and I said it was minus 50. And she says, hell, it's so Fahrenheit. I said, it's so cold, it don't matter. <laughs> yeah, so. It's funny about that metric system. We tried to adopt it as in this country, I think in the 70s, and it just the culture wouldn't do it. But to me, it makes just perfect sense. It, it's easy to do the math in your head. And it's like we're one of the few countries. Now, the U.K. has the mix, right? They use the mm-hmm. metric system, but if you want it, your body weight's in stones. So <laughs> <laughs> nothing gets my friends in the U.K. because I'm sure you come over here and look at us like, what is a foot? <laughs> you know. But anyway, it's awesome stories. So I've known Accenture forever, probably for 20, 25 years. The Accenture today in 2019 is not the Accenture it was in the 80s. Y'all are a totally different organization now. It's a totally different organization, and it's a really huge pivot that the firm's made to move towards digital technology. So that was our vision for for the last, uh, until 2020. And really, we're talking about the post-digital world. So how are we seeing innovation truly drive differentiated growth? So we see all the success in Silicon Valley. Well, how do we actually translate that into disruptive change in corporations? Yeah. And it's literally, y'all have the global reach where y'all are involved. Y'all's hands are in so many different industries that you get exposed to best practices, global best practices, new technology, new process. And then that's like a tool in your toolbox. And then when you're, you engage with your clients, like the big oil and gas companies, you know how this, uh, this uh, collection of fixes for problems they have. But I have to ask you this one thing. We're headed into this new technology world. It's it's whether you agree with me or not, it's happening no matter what. It's driving efficiencies, it's driving uptimes, driving production. But the culture is always the hardest part to deal with. Now, you and I, you gave me a little tour and you said something I thought was was miraculous as far as a culture point of view. When you enter, when y'all interface with your clients or your prospect, your potential clients, you don't try to sell them anything, do you? That is no. not where you start with this. No, I think the biggest thing is just have a personal relationship. So it's based on trust and quite frankly, it's not showing PowerPoints. It's having a conversation which really focuses on the true problems that you're seeing. We don't try and say, here's blockchain, that is always your solution. So if you're your hammer, you're looking for a nail. We try and look at this from a very holistic approach. And we have a diversity of skills in the innovation hub to really be able to handle that. It's everything from design thinking to AI specialists to PhDs in wireless technology. We come in with an agnostic approach about technology, or even is it a technology problem? If it's an answer that is really being solved by culture or processes, we try and find that to be the smartest way to solve a problem. And as a testament to that, I think a lot of the clients that we've had that went from prospective clients to clients of people that we've met at random places on planes, for example, <laughs> right? Having conversations on plane to Houston, you're likely to interact with someone that works in the oil and gas space. And so just having a frank conversation about what it is that they do, because everyone loves talking about what they do and what their pain points 
are as a conversation and then to sort of talk about how we could help them do that is exactly speaking to what Neil was talking about. It's never a sales pitch. It's first hearing. Because one of the things that frustrated me most working in the oil field was it felt very disconnected from the head offices, the corporate oh, yeah. offices, right? And given that was the case, I thought, okay, I have now the perfect opportunity to address that because I have a very good idea of what the pain points are. And now that if I listen to folks that are working, I can actually go ahead and provide them sometimes a technological solution, sometimes not for what they need. And that's been very successful here. Yeah, it is. It is. And I've seen this my entire career. So you have town or corporate or whatever you want to call it. And their heart's in the right place. And they come up with some really cool stuff, but they don't realize that the guys in the field actually have to work in that environment. A perfect example is when they have a checklist. And somebody will put every little minute thing on there. And what does that cause? It causes the guy in the field who has a time limit to pencil whip that checklist. But if you had a piece of technology overlay that, the technology would know, okay, this is the most important things to check, mm-hmm. right? And it would know if the guy pencil whipped it or not. And so it would fix it for everybody, both corporate. They'd get the data they needed. Yeah. But the guy in the field would be able to do his job better and more efficiently. Definitely. Now, funny thing, I didn't mean to go here, but I am. So in the tour, we noticed y'all have a huge a virtual reality, augmented reality workspace, which they're doing some just amazing stuff. Y'all actually, before we get to the augmented reality, y'all actually picked up a graphics company. I didn't even know y'all acquired that is somewhat popular because they kind of touched this series that maybe people have heard about. Yeah. So as part of our new build out space, we're actually using a company called Macavision. So Macavision was an acquisition by Accenture Interactive, which is actually the world's largest agency right now. So it's something I think people don't know about. Yeah, Accenture. I didn't know that. That would yeah. think is cool. So if you, if, and first off, I welcome everyone to come to the Innovation Center to see the new space. But our new immersion hall, which I think you got a chance to see, actually will have a video that's playing by the, the guys who did Game of Thrones. So the, the Game, of, for Game of Thrones. Y'all bought the guys that do the CGI for Game of Thrones, and now you're using that to do downhole reservoir stimulation 3D modeling. And I kind of just made all that up. But in the process of going through that, which is incredible, is we ran across a little piece of hardware called an HMT1, which is made by a company called Realware. Now, the funny thing is I sit on the board of Realware because I believe in what they're doing. I see the future in oil and gas in that hardware. But back to you, a lot of companies in that space would have said, we'll create our own proprietary hardware. Y'all don't do that. Y'all go, here's something on the shelf, done. We are not going to be the people who are designing your hardware. We are going to be the, in fact, in many cases for the realware, we're not even going to be the people creating the software. There's a number of different players who have actually gotten really good solutions. So we try and figure out with the hardware, with our, our startup ecosystem, what's the right solution for us? Sometimes it's the proper integration. So it's great that you can walk through with the realware. So for those who are unaware of a realware, it's a Div1 device that can actually be out in the field in, in hydrocarbon environments. Attaches right to a hard helmet. And it's kind of like Google Glass on steroids. So you're able to be hands-free with your actions. So an example in that checklist, I'm able to go through the most important things. And when I get stuck in a particular action, I'm able to remote call in an expert to say, here are my problems. And I'm even able to telestrate on both ends where I'm seeing a particular issue and working through that. For us, there's software on the market that can actually do that. For us, the integration, providing value to our client, how do we bring that next level of value to our clients? It's what's important. Because the ecosystem, the ecosystem is really big and we don't always build the best software. 
we want to build the best solution that's valuable to our clients. What I love about that is every oil and gas company out there has a different tech stack, right? Mm -hmm. Some of it's legacy stuff, some of it's brand new cutting edge, some of it's great and some of it's not so great. Yeah. But y'all's ability to be almost technology agnostic would be probably the right way to do it uh, and yeah, focus on the problem. That's exactly what we I try to I love that say. approach. I mean, it, but that's the thing. If you talk about, I need SAP or Oracle, we are the world-leading implementer in all of those technologies. So, But I want to be clear here, that's what most people think of the old Accenture. That's the old Accenture. That's not the new Accenture. They're still good at that, right? They're global, probably best practice in the world at SAP. Nothing against SAP internal people. Don't give me hate mail. But at the same time, y'all have moved so far away from that. It, I always call it yes and. So <laughs> we are the world's largest implementer and the world's largest digital agency and on the forefront of innovation. I think walking through the space, you can see this is part of a large investment by the firm. Over a billion dollars uh, that we've pumped into our innovation ecosystem in space, in investments in different areas so that we can bring value back to our clients. All so right. so this is the Only Guys Tech Podcast. I want to go kind of deep in the tech. Sure. All right. So we talked about this while we were giving me a tour. We talked about data scientists, right? Big data, big data analytics is huge buzzwords in oil and gas, but it's also revenue affecting. From the history of oil and gas, we've always been a big data industry. Even with paper mud logs, it's still big data. The problem is, and it's to this day, the problem is that data is disparaged. Some of it's structured, some of it's not structured. I happen to know for a fact that as Accenture has worked with some, we'll say, some of the biggest oil and gas companies in the world to help them solve that exact problem. Yeah. That's a mess. How do y'all go in and fix that? So what's interesting is when we're working with engineers who are eventually going to be the people that are going to be using data science-driven solutions, right, is that we're not trying to just hammer home statistical optimization or data-driven solutioning, right? I think there is an amalgamation of physics-based modeling with database modeling, which is a very interesting space you're playing. So we've got a few PhD data scientists that come from petroleum engineering background. Oftentimes, quality of data that we get from sensors is questionable, at best. Often, yes. <laughs> right? And so in that event, we're still using physics-based modeling, first principle formulae, to come up and fill in that data set so that we have better quality of data based on which we can now build predictive models that are data-driven. Because that fundamental quality of data which was questionable, is now in a better place. So the attitude towards this is not to replace a capability, but it's using multiple of them to look at it more objectively. I'll give you a more quantified example. There was a client that we had on the west coast of Australia, one of the largest players of LNG in the world. And they were spending a lot of money on fuel gas for their LNG plants. And they said, this is not right. They use 10% of their best quality gas as fuel for the remainder to purify that. That's not right. And they said, can you come in and optimize that? And we said, sure, we can try. We went in, we predicted a smaller event for the first two weeks, which is a foaming event at an LNG facility. We used that as a springboard to understanding the entire plant, what sensors they had, what type of data we could get from things like compressors, from things like heat exchangers, what, is, what affects the thermal efficiency of a facility, right? Once we did that, we did some filling in from physics-based modeling, worked on with the process engineers, and then we were able to create a model that predicts what state that particular plant is going to be in in the next two hours, in the next four hours, in the next 24 hours, because that is what the engineers on the field are most interested in so that they can configure their facility accordingly. I love the fact y'all didn't do this in a lab somewhere in India, right? I love the fact you got the process engineers with the boots on the ground, yeah. because there's always a delta between what the data shows in the lab and what the real world scenario is. Absolutely. That is really cool. Yeah. And that had to be huge cost savings. Yes. 
Ridiculous. Ridiculous yeah. cost saving. That's one train plant, which is the smallest LNG plant that you can get, and the cost saving still starts with an M. Yeah, and I love the fact that instead of going in and trying something big, you did it at an extremely small scale so you could just get the data points to point you in the right direction so you didn't – the risk was very minimal. You didn't risk shutting the plant down. You didn't risk giving subpar fuel gas to the plant. It was small, incremental, but you learned each step. Absolutely. And what we also did was when we looked at the historical data set, we predicted history first. We predicted oh, something that's, that's already so cool. happened. Once we did that, you have an acceptable level of error in right. prediction. And then you use that tuned model to predict the future so you don't compromise the integrity of your predictions in the first place. I don't want to try not to geek out here, but I come from a statistical market research background. I could go way down that rabbit <laughs> hole. But that is really amazing stuff. So, you know, there's a very unique problem that a lot of people normally would not the first company wouldn't think of would be Accenture, right? But that is y'all's sweet spot, that ability to take a problem that sometimes is such an enormous scope as far as all the different data points and figure out what parts of that data is important and how do you fix the problem and then the rest you don't need to worry about. Absolutely. This conversation for this particular project started over a water cooler at a facility out in Karatha in Western Australia. And I met this process engineer, said that I started having a conversation and I'm an engineer as well, so we started nerding out, and that's really where it all started. And then we took it from there, and then we sat together and identified a very small space or a small section of the plant to begin this pilot on, right? I spent three months myself working in the middle of nowhere in Australia trying to figure this out with some of my team, and it was fantastic. We took that to now the entire organization. What a great learning experience, too, for your team, because a lot of guys that sit back in the office, maybe you've never seen an LNG train, right? And just being able to see it helps you do your job better. Definitely. And that means that Accenture's, the, the people that are working on these problems for your customers, some of them have field experience and, you know, little things. I get, we get this a lot. I will get tech companies come out to us and show us something really cool. And I'll have to go, you have to realize there's no connectivity in West Texas. Or that guy's covered in pipe dope and crude oil. The solution they have are awesome, but they don't understand the oil field. Yeah. Y'all understand the oil field. Absolutely. And that's been, you know, the value of some of the industry experts that we've gotten into the hub as well. And that they've actually had experience of working out there in the middle of nowhere, different types of environment, offshore, onshore, conventional, unconventional, in the snow in Alaska, in the middle of the heat in Australia, so on and so forth. So that diversity has been really useful here. And so y'all brought everything in the innovation hub, right? And you have all this talent, you have all these resources. One of the things I think is really cool, if I was an operator or a pipeline company or a petrochemical plant, and I wanted to understand what the possibilities are, not try to commercialize a solution yet, but just what are the choices of me fixing some of my existing problems? They could actually come to y'all, explain to what their problems are, and y'all could walk them through scenarios that are somewhat close to what the actual solution would look like. Absolutely. And I will say that sometimes the answer is not always an oil and gas solution. Sometimes we bring that from the larger firm that we've dealt with. So sometimes it's an aerospace example. Sometimes it's a an automotive or a manufacturing solution. So I love that because those industries solved problems years ago that we still struggle with. I, I'm not going to mention the service company, although it's one of the biggest. Last year brought me out to a land rig out in West Texas, and they showed me their just-in-time inventory system. And I go, this is cool, right? It was a sea can full of spare parts parked next to the rig site. 
And I had to very diplomatically explain to them that it's not just-in-time delivery. Just-in-time delivery is what automotive figured out in the 80s, right? Where they work with their vendors, they partner with their vendors, and they go, okay, the system says I'm about to run out of tires in 17 minutes. Well, 16 minutes and 30 seconds later, the tires show up from the plant. But there's zero defect because they've worked together to make sure that those tires are perfect so it doesn't slow down an assembly line. If automotive did that in the 80s, all the guys should be able to do that now. Absolutely. I think we've oftentimes found that, and that could be multiple reasons for that. Other industries have had to get innovative much earlier than oil and gas and the way that it has been done. And I believe that oil and gas technology is by far the most complex compared to some of the other industries because we're dealing with something that's intangible. Most people spend their oil careers without even ever having seen oil. And so when you're dealing with such intangibles of geology, geophysics, and a very invisible of sorts product that you're trying to deal with, it's a very complicated problem to solve. And hence, I believe that they've been later than other industries. Well, and the engineering challenges that we take is normal. I mean, honestly, your ability to drill through 4,000 feet of water, 5,000 feet of rock, hang a right, do 10,000 foot lateral... That's insane amount of engineering that goes in. But we take it as normal. Like, oh, just a normal day in the oil field. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that we always talk about in Houston. Depending on how you look at it, it's either the world's most innovative city, where you talk about the amazing engineering feats that we're doing in oil and gas, the city that put man on the moon. And in many cases, it's the least innovative city, a city that is really now just getting an Amazon tech hub for the fourth largest city that is struggling to really bring that digital talent. So... We try and bridge the gap there. We know that, that Houston is kind of lacking that, that particular skill set, and we want to be the leaders across Houston and, and globally on, on what we call the resources. This is our oil and gas larger platform to say, how are we bringing innovative solutions, not only just technology, to solve the toughest problems? Yeah, actually, it's funny you brought that up. So a couple of things I'm known for. One is I get hate mail, so people don't send me hate mail. Is, but I say this all the time. I say an oil and gas engineer, especially a subsea engineer, makes a NASA scientist look like a Lego builder because the oil and gas engineer has to design something that meets budget, timelines. Typically, it has to be zero defect, has to be taken apart, moved around the world, put back together, and it has to work by itself for 10 years. I might touch it. It's not theory. It's not academia. It's real business. While floating on an ocean, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, it's amazing. The other thing is I truly believe in the future oil and gas industry is going to look like Silicon Valley. It's going to be fast, sexy, flexible workforce, full of high tech because we have no choice. I think it's awesome that Accenture sees that potential and goes, you know what, I'm going to stick a stake in ground now, right? Not 10 years now when everybody else is doing it, sticking a stake in ground now. Because we need that center to start bringing in, you know, we got Austin right down the street, which is, if you don't know Texas, it doesn't really fit in Texas. No hate mail from Austin. Just a different vibe. But the number of startups and bright young people, they got 14-year-old kids writing code over there like it's nothing. We need more of that here. Absolutely. And these are some of the hardest challenges to solve. I think going back to Sid's point, we have a passion for solving those problems. And I think there is, I hate to say this, a certain amount of poo-pooing of oil and gas. They're really amazing challenges. And we're talking about the 21st century of how do we get secure in our energy futures. This is one of the most important things you can do. Yeah, and it's Houston's also center for the U.S. for the space program. And what a lot of people don't realize is there's only one fuel with enough energy density to get us out of gravity. Well, it's hydrocarbons. And about halfway out of our solar system, whether you believe in a divine creator or not, doesn't matter. There's a planet called Saturn with a moon called Titan that's covered with lakes of liquid natural gas. To me, that's a refuel spot built right smack in the middle of our solar system. So, you know, it's awesome to see that time between space and oil and gas. The other thing is you brought up airlines. 
one of the things the airline industry is really good at is predictive maintenance mm-hmm. because they've collected data for years and they work with their vendors. So their jet engine turbine blade vendor goes, okay, this blade will fail at this point. One of the problems I see in oil and gas is the vendors won't give that failed data. They have it. They've tested their product's failure to the operators who actually get to see the bigger picture. And so to me, that means we need a change in culture. We're more open to collaborating. Are y'all starting to see companies that only got to start to collaborate more? Absolutely. And I think in addition to that, the benefit we've had here at Accenture is the vendor that you mentioned is a customer. The consumer of that engine that you mentioned is a customer. And the oil and gas organization that is getting a different piece of equipment, a compressor versus an engine from the same vendor, is also a customer. So our teams have had exposure of working for all three of them on different types of equipment to predict failures in all of them, right? So the diversity that we bring in there is amazing. And in addition to that, I think the oil and gas industry has been very open to open innovation, collaborating with not only their vendors, but cross industry as well, as a part of their investment in big venture groups that I'm sure you've talked about before as well. And even more so in the last four or five years than it ever has been in the few decades before. I think one of the powers that Sid was talking about is we have the unique ability to see across what problems each one of those major companies is having. So we can actually be the company that brings them together. And we've done this with certain super majors where we've brought oil field services vendors together with super majors, with technology companies to actually solve the biggest problems, acting like we're just one company. And if you're able to drop those badges and drop some of those preconceived notions, you're able to solve some of these challenges in a very different way. Yeah, that venture thing is really cool. So all the majors and all the big service companies and some of the big independents all have internal venture groups because they know what they need to compete in the future isn't going to come from the big tech companies. It's going to come from some three-man startup in South Florida or whatever. But the thing that I see they do, and they get in their own way. They only know oil and gas. And so if they see what might be a solution to, say, a pressure relief problem in medical, it doesn't ring the bell in their head. So if I understand what you're telling me is that it would ring the bell in Accenture's head because y'all have the experience in medical. And so you would see that pressure solution, even though it's in a different industry, as maybe something, a way to help solve a problem in oil and gas. Oh, absolutely. One of the things that we use very much to think, how do I solve Permian issues? Some of the things they've done in mining, optimized use cases of how do I detect supply chain and when is this actually going to be a true problem for me? How am I detecting eyes starting to fall asleep so I can tell, are you safe on the road? That's one of the biggest problems in the Permian is that we continue to see it's about one death a day on average of people dying on the roads. What if we're actually making sure that we're proactively monitoring people's eyes, how long they've been on the road? Can we optimize their particular route pattern so that they're not on the road? Can we make sure they're being on larger roads rather than these kind of questionable areas with big equipment? These are the sorts of challenges that we try and help our clients solve. It's funny you brought that up because the last time I was here, I actually got to see that solution in a mining scenario. And I go... This needs to be spread out in oil and gas because this is keeping people safe. This is allowing people to go home to their families at night. And it's not a high-cost solution. It's no. a, actually a relatively inexpensive solution. You know, And the ability to see, make sure all your people are safe. And if not, something happens, you know about it immediately. Right? That's huge. Absolutely. 
Yeah. This is like really, really, really awesome stuff. We're getting close to having to wind down the show. So audience, trust me, we will have Accenture back on. We'll go deeper into stuff. And we also, somewhere down the road, we'll go step back in to this whole venture capital thing because we have a future oil and gas podcast that I think was going to sit right there. But before we go, a couple of things. So I want to product reviews. This is typically a point where I do a product review. I don't have one to do today. But remember, people, if you're sending me products to be reviewed, it needs to be gadgety, something small, something cool. Not your fire suppression system, not your mud pump, not your gen set. You know, something like a different type of microphone or a way to mount an iPhone on a wall or just something gadget. We don't have one today, but we'll sure we have some more. And then at the end of this, listens for Julie. She'll give you updates on what's going on and help you understand what we're doing with the street team. We're still looking for volunteers for that. Big shout out to BCD Travel. They're our official travel sponsor for this show and all the other shows. If you need to get your people and your parts all over the world safely, they're the ones to go talk to. And then we talked about Flutur, who's a sponsor of the show. They're doing this really cool giveaway to our listeners, which thank you, Flutur. It's the Port Authority cyber backpack this is a really cool backpack it's really simple go to the show notes click on the giveaway link and go ahead and register we'll give away one a week if you want to type it in it's getflutour.com forward slash podcast so while you're online registering for the backpack go ahead and hit our website give us your email address we never spam you promise and then join the linkedin group i think we're over three thousand members right now just type in oggn so sid if people wanted to learn more about accenture where should they go they could do one of two things. Go to Accenture.com and search for Houston Innovation Hub or go to Google and Google Accenture Houston Innovation Hub. And then Neil and Sid, if people want to learn about more about you, I'm guessing LinkedIn? LinkedIn is probably the best place. Yeah, so we'll go ahead and put links to both the Accenture main website and a Google search and also both uh, Neil and Sid's LinkedIn profile. Gentlemen, this has been awesome. Like, we just scratched the surface. I could have sit here for four days and talked to us. Unfortunately, I can't sit here for four days, and I guess y'all have work to get back to. But I want to have y'all back on. But for now, thank you. This has been awesome. Great conversation. I love what Accenture's doing. Y'all are going places, and I can't wait to see y'all get there. Perfect. And we'd love to nerd out on any subject, really. Yeah, I can nerd out all day long, trust me. <laughs> all right, folks, we are making sure that you don't get left behind one episode at a time. And here's Julie with Events on Deck. And here are the Events on Deck for August 2019. The Oil and Gas Conference, 11th through the 14th at the Weston Denver Downtown. SPE Subsea Well Intervention, 13th through the 15th at Galveston Island Convention Center in Galveston, Texas. Oilfield Helping Hands Summer Pistol Shoot, August 16th at the Texas Gun Club in Stafford, Texas. Uh, of course, Summer Napes coming up August 21st through 22nd at the George R. Brown Convention Center here in Houston, Texas. The IADC Well Control Conference, which is the 27th through the 28th at a Moody Gardens Hotel in Galveston, Texas. Oil and Gas Happy Hour in Tanzania, August 23rd. 6 to 10 p.m. at the Best Western CBD Hotel in Dar el Salaam, Tanzania. A PGICE 2019 will be held 27th through the 30th at Hilton Buenos Aires Hotel in Buenos Aires, Argentina, held, of course, 27th through the 30th. U.S.-based Oils and Lubricants Summit that will be held the 28th through the 29th in New Orleans, Louisiana, and then, of course, the Denver Happy Hour, which will be launching August 29th in Denver, Colorado at Liberty Oil Services. Hope to see you there. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com. <laughs>